Welcome. This is week number four in our series that we're calling Seven, uh, based on the seven churches of the book of Revelation. And uh, Pastor Stephen has done a great job over the last few weeks. We've been in and out, uh, my wife and I, on vacation and conference, things like that, uh, just, just covering a lot of this. I've been here on Sunday mornings, though, uh, for, for a few of those, we preach the same message. But uh, I actually was looking for him this week because uh, he's in Guatemala leading a mission trip, and, and our 20-somethings are making a huge impact there in Guatemala and they'll be back uh, over the weekend. Uh, but I, I was really wishing he would do this message. Quite honestly, I, I was trying to figure out a way, uh, get the flu, but he, you know, he's in Guatemala. He's not going to come back. Uh, so boss has got to do it. Uh, because this is a tough message. Now, that being said, let me just say this. We always say this. We have a rocking children's ministry here at Valley Christian Church. And, uh, but parents, you can expect it's going to be PG-13. I'm going to try to make this from an R-rated uh, sermon to PG-13. Uh, Jesus makes it R. Uh, and, and we're going to look at his words tonight. And, and for many of us, we're going to be like, I used to really love this church. Uh, but it's not the church, it's Jesus. It, it's Jesus, you know, like, I just love it, feel so accepted and all this stuff. But, but we're going to look at Jesus' words. And this is why I often say, reading the Bible will mess you up as a Christian. Because we have this preconceived idea of who Jesus is until we actually read the Bible. And then all of a sudden we're confronted with, he's a whole lot bigger and a whole lot different than my preconceived ideas of who he is. And, and, and this message this weekend is one of those. In fact, I think that this message, as we're looking through the seven churches, I, I think this one, the fourth church that Jesus addresses in the book of Revelation, the reason why I think this is such a, is this is a tough message because I think this is the one that like the most directly confronts American culture today. And it's amazing that 2,000 years ago, and he's speaking to the church, we can't ever forget that. He's not talking to those that don't know him. He's speaking to Christians like you and me. They are failing and faltering and wrestling with the same issues that we are here today in America. And so quick review, uh, first uh, we, we looked at in the first week, uh, the church of Ephesus, Jesus' words to the church of Ephesus, and that was the forgetful church. He says your, your, your love's kind of grown cold. Uh, then we looked at Smyrna, the suffering church. Last, last week we talked about Pergamos, the compromising church. And, and during our time to study together today, we're going to look at Thyatira, the tolerant church. The tolerant church. And Jesus comes to the church of Thyatira. He says, you tolerate things I have no tolerance for. And tolerance is like the virtue that's lifted up in our nation today. But what we're going to find is when Jesus talks about tolerance, there's a whole lot of things that he will not tolerate that our culture says are perfectly fine. And as followers of Christ, we have to decide who we're going to go with our culture that's ever-changing, or are we going to go with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? And that's exactly the heart of the issue that was happening 2,000 years ago. A little bit of background to the church of Thyatira is pretty interesting. Say that with me, Thyatira. Can you say it? Thyatira. Kind of rolls off the Thyatira. Kind of rolls off the tongue. Thyatira was the smallest of all the seven churches that Jesus speaks to in the book of Revelation. In fact, most scholars think, for instance, Ephesus was somewhere around 4,000 people at the time that Jesus spoke to it. Well, actually, the time that Timothy pastored, 4,000 people. Thyatira, some scholars believe, may have been under 150 people. 
but Jesus said more to this church than any of the other churches in terms of actual verses and words and correction to this small, very, very small church. Because the things that were going on in that church, he's like, I don't tolerate that. You tolerate things that I don't tolerate. And he's really drawing a line for them. And so there's not even a lot of fluff. He he does commend them. He does encourage them about a few things, but then he just gets right into it. And so I'm gonna ask you, if you have your Valley apps, go ahead and open them up because I'm gonna be sharing some things that I think over the next few weeks, months, and years, I wanna coach you up on really how to handle tolerance. I mean, that's the big thing in our culture today, as Christians especially, you're, you know, we're painted with the broad brush of you're intolerant because of your religious beliefs. And it's like, we're intimidated when someone says we're intolerant. But we're gonna, I'm gonna give you a couple tools how you can really handle some truths about tolerance and what it really means and some things that you can really engage a good conversation with. With some other folks that they're saying, well, well that's an intolerant view that you have because you're a Christian. And so I, I know you're going to want to have those notes with you on your Valley Christian Church app. So here we are, right where we left off last week, Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. And Jesus speaks here and says, to the angel of the church of Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God. Let's stop right there. Because he just did something different. Did you notice it? If you've been here every week, for all the other previous three, three churches that he addresses, And the next three that he addresses, Jesus says that he's the son of man. But with Thyatira, he goes, I'm the son of God. In other words, the other six churches, he's he's emphasizing his humanity. But there's something going on in Thyatira. He's like, I'm God. I'm divine. The son of God. To the angel of the church of Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God, watch this now, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. Let's stop there again. Okay, just want to walk through and unpack these. He says his eyes are like blazing fire. Back in Revelation chapter one, remember, we have this description of John. He sees Jesus and he says his eyes are blazing fire. His hair is white as wool. He's got this sword coming out of his mouth. And then with everyone, if you haven't noticed it yet, with every one of the churches, that description that John has of Jesus, Jesus emphasizes, I look this way because of this. Last week he was talking about this, it was a sword in his mouth. And he goes, I've got my sword with me, my authority. And if you were here on Sunday, I pulled out my sword and uh, I almost got someone's face uh, in the front row. But anyway, that was, uh, that was a minor flesh wound. But anyway, uh, and, and so, so here, Revelation 1, John describes him, hair like wool, eyes of fire, sword coming out of his mouth. And here he emphasizes, my eyes are burning like fire. What is that? He's like, purity. I'm coming, I'm the son of God, and I'm requiring purity from my people. Eyes of blazing fire. That's what the fire, just as you you, you warm and purify things. Eyes of uh, blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. That's very intentional as well. Thyatira was a very small city. They had only a few, it wasn't a real place of commerce or anything. They only had a few like things that they produced. One of those was a, Material and they would dye different material. You may remember Lydia, also known as Dorcas. She, she had both of those names in the New Testament. She was from Thyatira. 
And, and she was a merchant that, that sold different colored uh, uh, clothing and cloth. Their main industry was bronze, was bronze making. And so they had these guilds for the skilled craftsmen. So the uh, merchants, they would go to like, uh, uh, they go to work and then they would go to almost like a club, if you will, afterwards, just for those that, that they worked with. The best way to think about this really is it's almost like fraternity houses, frat houses. Like after work, you would go to the bronze gill. You'd go to the bronze frat house and they would do just like college students in frat houses do here in America today. They would just crazy like, John Belushi animal house stuff going on. And then they'd go home. And so Jesus right here on the front end, he's, he's confronting them. He goes, whose feet are like burnished bronze. He's like, I'm standing over you. You're like under me. And he's saying, I've got something to say to you. You're, you're my church and I'm gonna speak. And I'm going to speak to you about purity. And I'm going to speak to you about what's going on after work. And he goes on and says, I know your deeds. And this is the good part, and it doesn't get very good after this. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did first. This verse right here, this, you'd be like, this is the kind of church I want to be a part of, you know? He's like, you're doing a lot of great stuff in your community. Look at that. You're, you're serving, you're persevering, you love your faith. And Jesus is like, and we're like, oh yeah, I want to go to that church. I mean, if you move to Thyatira and you're, you're, no, you're doing a Google search for churches, this comes up and like, wow, this is a good recommendation. I'm going to do this. But then comes that word that popped up last week as well. And Jesus begins to rebuke them. He rebukes them. That's the first thing. And look at what he says. Nevertheless, nevertheless, he goes, I know you got some really good stuff going on. Nevertheless, I have this against you. And listen to the clarity of this. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. I'm going to unpack this for you in just a minute. Who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads her servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food that sacrificed to idols. He goes on and he says, I've given her time to repent for her immorality, but she is unwilling. What is Jesus talking about here? The Christians in Thyatira knew exactly what he was talking about. They would, this, was a, this was no brain. They didn't even have to think about it. They knew exactly what Jesus was correcting and confronting in their church. And it's so important for you and me, if we're going to really hear what God wants to say to us in this passage of Scripture that we're in this weekend, it's so important for you and me to remember he's not talking to those who have rejected him. He's speaking to Christians. He's speaking to Christians. Let's go back, if we go to the, last, the previous slide here for just a minute, and let me unpack this. He says, you tolerate that woman Jezebel. Who is Jezebel? Well, probably this is not really a woman uh, being called by name in the church of Thyatira. Uh, it's not a specific woman's name. Probably this is John used this name to symbolize the kind of evil that she was promoting in the church. In, in the Old Testament, and you can, you, if you 
been in church very much at all. You probably have heard about Jezebel. In the Old Testament, Jezebel was a pagan queen of Israel. And she was considered the most evil woman to ever live on the face of the earth. And so Jesus says, you tolerate Jezebel in your church. It's almost like uh, you tolerate a Jezebel. If he was like, he's like, there's a woman in the church and she is just as evil as Jezebel. In the Old Testament, Queen Jezebel had all the prophets of God murdered, every one of them except for Elijah. She had them slaughtered, the legitimate prophets of God. She was just, that, that name, that's why, you know, this is not like on the top five trending names for girl babies right now. You know, Jezebel, like, oh, let's name her Jezzy, Jezebel. You know, it's just not, it's like Judas, you know, like if you say Benedict Arnold, you know, like he's a Benedict Arnold. What does that mean? He's a traitor. He's a Judas. He's going to betray me. When, 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 when the Holy Spirit is speaking to John and, and, and Jesus' words, it says, you tolerate Jezebel. It's not Jezebel. It's Jezebel. And, and it says, by her teaching, she called herself a prophet. And, and they're, 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 that's a legitimate thing. The Bible is very, very clear that there are prophets. We see that all throughout Scripture. By her teaching, though, watch what it is. She's a false prophet. She misleads her servants into what? Sexual immorality and eating of food sacrificed to idols. What was going on? Jezebel, remember Animal House scene. There are these guilds for skilled laborers in Thyatira. Get off work. You go to the club. Everybody gets drunk, knocking them back. Then the end of the day would be illicit orgies and sex with anyone you wanted. That was the common practice in Thyatira. And Jezebel comes into the church and says, listen, God will forgive you. It doesn't really matter. It's okay. If it feels good, do it. And then Jesus speaks. And Jesus says, you tolerate things. I don't tolerate. You say things are okay. They're not okay to me. This is, this is the virtue that our culture puts up above all else, tolerance. But Jesus says, I don't tolerate it. Specifically, what was going on? False teaching about sexual immorality. Let me give you the, the, the Greek word here that makes up sexual immorality. It's actually one word. If we put it up, sexual immorality is defined, the Greek word is the Greek word, see if this sounds familiar to you, porneo. Porneo. It's where we get our English word pornography from, or porn. He says, Jezebel is saying porn is okay. Jezebel is teaching sexual immorality is okay. God will just forgive you. It's no big deal. This word in Greek, porneo, means to engage in illicit sex, to commit fornication. That means a single person who's not married that has sex with someone. Adultery. Adultery is a married person that has sex with someone other than their spouse. Prostitution. 
Prostitution, you just put two letters at the end of that Greek word, porneo, and it's the Greek word for prostitute. And Jezebel's saying, it's no big deal. God will forgive you. And they're regularly involved with sexual immorality. And Jesus says, you tolerate things. I don't tolerate. You, you say it's okay. It's not okay. In the Bible, sexual activity, it basically, this word porneo, uh, is, means sexual immorality is translated that way. Uh, basically means sexual activity contrary to biblical principles. And what is biblical principles when it comes to sex? God created sex, not the devil. God knows how sex works best, not the devil or Hollywood or anyone else. And God says sex is powerful. And so from the Bible, we don't have a low view of sex. We have a high view of sex because sex is not just flesh. Sex is also spirit to spirit and soul to soul. Paul later on, and this is not a dissertation on, on biblical standards of sexuality or anything like that, because I could do a 10-week series on that, because there's so much that the Bible has to say about it. But Paul says this in, in Corinthians, he goes, if you join yourself to a prostitute, you become one with her. That, that it's not just physical oneness, it's spiritual oneness, it's a oneness of soul. It's oneness of emotion as well. That's why God says sex is for the confines of marriage and marriage only. Because it's so powerful, it will mess with you emotionally, spiritually, and relationally outside of marriage. It's a big, big deal. And so as Christians, we don't have a low view of sex. We have a high view of sex because we understand the creator and what he created it for. I've said this before. Before you get married, the devil wants you to have as much sex as possible. After you get married, he wants you to have none. None. Our culture, the reality is, it's like the flip. I mean, that, that's what our culture says also, but God is, a, before marriage, none. Once you're married, often. And regularly, because watch this, it's the renewing of the vows of the covenant of marriage. That's what sex is. Spirit, soul, and body. Have you ever wondered, you can check this out, Google this. Statistically, couples that have been married over 50 years, when one passes away, the other dies within 12 months. Why? They're one. They're one. It's like 90% of the time that happens. Why? They're one. They're one. It's powerful. God knew. That's why it's the most quoted verse in all the Bible. And Jesus quoted himself, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, not his girlfriend, his wife, marriage, and the two will become one flesh. It's powerful. And so in the church of Thyatira, they're like, that's no big deal. Jezebel's like, he'll forgive you. It's not a big deal at all. And Jesus is like, it is really a big deal. Why, why is sexual immorality so serious? Because the Bible, it, 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 it's not even like a gray area. It is black and white. Why is sexual immorality so serious? Because sex outside of marriage, either before marriage or when you're married with someone who you're not married with, always hurts someone. 
always hurt someone. And I'm not only speaking about this at, at this time, just from, from the Bible. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sharing with you from 27 years of being a pastor. 27 years of seeing people's hearts wrecked, broken, destroyed, devastated. Children that they, their parents live in different parts of the country today, just destroyed and ripped apart. And our country's like, it's okay, it's no big deal. And Jesus speaks to the church and says, it's a very big deal. It's a very big deal. I don't think it's a coincidence. 1960s, the, the emphasis on free love and just do what you want, that the 1980s was when the divorce rate in the United States crested over 50%. Just, just, just two decades later. Because it's serious. When, when, when sexual immorality hurts God every time, because what it's saying is this, we choose to satisfy our desires in our own timing instead of waiting and trusting God for his timing to bring the right person into our life. It also hurts others because listen, we take from someone in a passing relationship what is meant to be given in the deepest of all human relationships. And that is a lifelong commitment to your spouse. And we take that from someone when we have not made that commitment to them, you're going to be there when I take my last breath. And we steal it from them. Instead of in marriage, a husband gives himself. A wife gives herself. And it's showing that oath that they've made to each other till death do us part. I'm with you. You'll never be alone again. We also hurt ourselves. We hurt ourselves because it impacts our personalities negatively. Our, our trust is undermined and our spiritual confidence as well. I, I, I can't tell you how many times as a pastor I've been there helping someone, counseling someone, and, and because of sexual immorality in their life, it doesn't take long they begin to question, does God really care? Is God really real? It, it, just, it just undercuts our confidence in Christ. And this is why Jesus is like, this is not okay. He, he says, you're tolerating some stuff I just don't tolerate. And so listen to what he says now. And, and remember, this is a letter, so I'm just the mailman. <laughs> I didn't write the letter. I'm just delivering it. You don't get mad at the mailman, okay? I didn't write it. I'm just delivering it. Verse 22. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering. And I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of their ways. Wow. Jesus is like, listen, there are consequences to sexual immorality. And, and he's like, you're about to feel the heat of it. Because you tolerate things I don't tolerate as your savior. He says, unless they repent. What does repent mean? It means to turn around, to stop it, and to go in the other direction. Cease and desist is what it means. That's what that word repent means. Unless you repent of their ways, I remember 
when I was a young pastor, I've probably officiated, I don't know, 45, 50 weddings uh, in the last 27 years. And uh, I remember a couple came to me and uh, they asked if I would do their wedding. I, it was, I want to say I was like 23 years old maybe. And uh, I sat down with them and, and first thing I asked them, I said, well, do you have a relationship with Jesus? You know, tell me about that. Tell me about your, your journey with Jesus. And they're like, what? And I'm like, well, we've never really been in church before or anything like that. And so I just, I said, well, let me just share with you what Jesus means to me. And I shared with them, and, and, and that, that day I had the honor. My office was back in the corner of the building over here at the time. and They both prayed and asked Christ in their hearts. And, and we started the premarital counseling with them. And about three sessions went by, and I said, listen, I want to ask you a question. Uh, are you all sleeping together? Because I'm going to be honest with you, and I, I hope you'll be honest with me. And they're like, yep. I was like, okay, all right. I said, well, here, here it is. You know what? God wants for your marriage to be the best it could possibly be. And I said, I want your marriage to be the best that it could possibly be. I said, I'm going to ask you to stop sleeping together for the next three months. And they looked at each other like, what? I was like, I'm going to ask you to stop. In fact, I'm going to say this. I'm going to insist on you stopping for your own good. Now, if that's too hard, I'll help you find another minister that will that'll marry you. But I'm not going to do it. Because I'm not going to bless, stand in God's place and say, what well, God has joined together, let no man separate. And y'all joined yourselves together already. And so well, how, how are we going to do that? We're living together. We bought a house together. I was like, okay, you got a couch? The guy said, yeah. I was like, you sleep on it for the next three months. And I'm trusting your honor as a man. I'm going to ask you every time we get together if you're keeping your relationship pure. They're like, okay. The Friday before, the Friday we met with them, before the rehearsal, walked in, I said, how's it going? Every time they're like, keeping it pure, and it's hard. Keeping it pure, keeping it pure, but it's hard. I said, that's why God made cold showers. And, and uh, they came in there, and I said, how's it? And they're like, we've done it, but man, tomorrow. And I said, isn't that great? And then they said this. My wife, Susan, was there. She's like, we can't thank you enough. We can't thank you enough. Because something's happened inside of us over the last 90 days. We met with them afterwards, and they were like, it made all the difference in our marriage. They just celebrated 25 years of marriage. Got a bunch of kids, just, just absolutely fantastic. Because God knows. God knows what's best. Don't, don't settle for good when God has best. And so, he says, repent of your ways. But then he doesn't stop there. He goes on and says, verse 23, I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. 
Jesus says to Christians, you're not hiding anything from me. And there are some things that I expect and there are some things I won't tolerate from my kids. He says, I see it all. And he's not just talking about our actions. He says, I see your, I see your thoughts. I see what motivates, the why behind what you do. And he says, and I'll repay each of you according to your deeds. What is he talking about? Actually killing children? No, what he's talking about is spiritually dead. You're spiritually, you're going to die. It takes your soul. And so we cannot hide from Christ. He knows what's in our hearts and minds, and he still loves us. And the sins that we try to hide from God need to be confessed to him. And so let me just encourage you. Walk in purity before God if you're single. If you're married, walk in purity before God. God created sex, husband and wife, in marriage. Nothing else. No other time. Don't compromise. I, I've never once met, I was at that Friday before the wedding, a couple that said, you know what? That bride is 24 hours, she's going to be a bride. And she goes, man, I just wish I slept with like five more guys before I got married. I've never heard anyone say that. I've never heard a couple married 50 years say, the glue that has held our marriage together is that we were sexually active with one another years before we got married. I don't even want to share with you what the divorce rate is for marriages when a couple is intimate before they get married. It's catastrophic. God knows. It's powerful. Incredibly powerful. And listen, you can do it. You can be pure. My wife Susie and I we, we were both virgins when we got married. When she was young, when I was young, as Christians, we individually didn't even know each other, but she made that commitment to Christ, and I did too, that, that I wanted to be pure. I wanted to, there's only, only one person on the planet that will ever get this thing called Greg Williamson's virginity. You only get to give that one time in a lifetime. And I wanted it to be my wife on our wedding night. And I was able to do that. But I'll tell you this, God will give you grace like you can't even imagine. I remember when I was coaching football over at John Jay High School, we were, we were talking one time, some of my players, defensive backs, and uh, one of them said, came up to me and was like, Coach, and he had this nickname for me, I won't tell you what that is, but he had this nickname for me, he's like, Coach, you were quarterback here, I heard. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that's right. And, and uh, he said, you were the captain of the football team? And I was like, yeah, Jim, I was. And, and uh, another guy comes up and he goes, Coach, you were the captain of the football team? I was like, yeah, I was. And, and they're like, you were quarterback? And I'm like, yeah. And I, was like, I bet you got some, didn't you, Coach? You got some, didn't you? I told you it's PG-13. He said, got some. And I was like, no, I didn't. And, and one of the guys goes, what? He was like, coach, you're a good looking man. He's like, coach, you, you're telling me you were playing on the other team? I didn't even know what that meant. I was like, no, I was playing here at John Jay. I was like, I wouldn't play for Ketchum. I was playing at John Jay. He's like, no, he's like, coach, you, you gay? I was like, Jim, I am so far from that. Ask my wife. And, and they were like, well, well, what do you mean? And I said, guys, I'll tell you this. I'm like right here on the field at John Jay. 
I was like, when I was 14 years old, I made a commitment to Jesus Christ. I wanted to be a virgin when I got married. I said, there were times, you guys, just what you think, captain, quarterback, there were times women throw themselves at me. And I would be like, no, I'm not going to do that. I, there were times like girls wanting to burn my house down because I wouldn't mess with them. And, and, and then it's like I'd get home on a Saturday night and I, I'd be getting ready to go to sleep and I'm thinking to myself, what are you doing, Williamson? This is crazy. Because God's grace would lift off of me. But I made a commitment to him. I wanted to walk in purity. And in the heat of the moment, in that temptation, God would give me the grace. And I'd say, I'm not doing this. And I'm so thankful for it. And I'm telling these guys this. I said, and you know what? I want to tell you something about my wife. She's perfect. She's flawless. And I have no one to compare her to on earth because I've never known another woman besides her. And they were like, Coach, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> and I was like, God will give you the grace too if you'll make that commitment to him. Right there on the field, the game field at John Jay. I, I, I know what it's like, that temptation, you know, and God just to give you the grace. I, I know what it's like even when Susie and I were engaged, but we're like, no, we're not going to do it. We're not going to do that. And walking in God's grace until, because listen, just, just like that theologian Beyonce said, if you like it, you ought to put a ring on it. <laughs> how, how come Beyonce gets it, but the Christians, we don't get it. We're playing house and all this stuff. And, and Jesus is like, it's not good for you. We're not going to do, don't do that. G.K. Chesterton, and, and, and this whole idea of tolerance, man, of, of us tolerating, as Christians, tolerating things that Jesus won't tolerate, this is like the buzzword in our culture. G.K. Chesterton, who is one of the, the great authors and, and, and really kind of armchair theologians of the 20th century, he put it this way, tolerance is the virtue of a man without convictions. That's what tolerance is. To tolerance is the virtue of a man who has no convictions, just tolerates everything. And so uh, 2,000 years later, the same issue, the same pressures we're facing in our culture today as they were 2,000 years ago. And so, so in the remaining time, real quick, I want to just coach you up on how to respond to these tolerance of bigotry, you know, these, these accusations of bigotry and you're intolerant and all these things. I want to give you six truths about tolerance in, in the context of this message, and then we'll, we'll finish up the rest of the passage. Here's the first one. You may not have thought about this before. Every culture practices both tolerance and intolerance. The United States is just as intolerant as it is tolerant. In fact, let me put it this way. You can't have a relationship. You can't have a friendship with someone unless you're intolerant. There are certain things you're like, I won't go for that. You can't do me that way. That's intolerance. If you have any boundaries, any convictions, that's intolerance. And, and the same thing with country with a nation. A law or a rule is intolerance. This is unacceptable. Let me, let me give you an example. Have you ever tried smoking a cigarette in a hospital? I have not, but, but uh, you know, just think about it. Hospitals are completely intolerant to cigarette smoke. They take away the rights of smokers. Their legal right to smoke 
You can't do it here. Totally intolerant. Nobody says a thing. They are actually poking out, pulling out one segment of our culture and society and saying, you don't have the right to do that. And it's completely legal. It's intolerance. And so every culture practices both tolerance and intolerance. Here's the second one. Today's tolerance is hypocritically intolerant of Christianity. Christians are a minority in the United States and they are an unprotected minority. An unprotected minority in the United States. You can make fun of them in sitcoms, movies, say outlandish, atrocious things about them, broad brush them with virtual impunity. No one is going to say a thing. But we're all supposed to be tolerant unless you're a Christian. We're not tolerant of you. Third thing is this, Christians have always been and will always be misunderstood. It's, it's par for the course. The New Testament puts it this way. The, 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 the mind of the flesh cannot comprehend the things of the spirit. They're never gonna understand. Listen, <laughs> there was a reason why they killed Jesus. Because Jesus was like, there's some stuff wrong here. And he spoke to it. I won't take the time right now. Read Matthew 23 sometime. See how tolerant Jesus was. Incredible what he said to the religious leaders in Matthew chapter 23. Called them a brood of vipers, all kinds of stuff like that. Christians have always been and will always be misunderstood, and that's never going to change. I, I think sometimes, you know, the, the Bible in Ephesians talks about put on the full armor of God. Some of us are reporting for duty in flip-flops with a surfboard. And, and we forgot, like, there's, there's a battle going on. And it's not against flesh and blood, but there's a spiritual battle going on. As Christians, just accept it. We got to accept it. We're going to be misunderstood. We're going to be misrepresented and we're going to be mistreated because of our convictions. But Jesus put it this way in Luke chapter six, verse 26. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds? King James Version is, that translation there is, woe be it unto you when all men speak well of you. Jesus says something's wrong between you and me if everybody speaks well of you. Everybody giving you the thumbs up, Greg's the best. Oh, he's awesome. Jesus is like, something's wrong. What sorrow awaits you who are praised by the crowds? Fourth really tool in terms of uh, tolerance, truths about tolerance is this. Acceptance does not mean approval. Our culture has made these two words synonyms and they're not. Acceptance doesn't mean approval. As followers of Jesus Christ, listen to me, listen, this is so important. We are called to love everyone, no exceptions. No exceptions. We are called to accept everyone, no exceptions. But acceptance is not approval. Let me put this in another venue and you'll understand what I'm saying. Parents, do you approve of everything your child does? Of course not. 
but you love and accept them all the time, don't you? It's two different things completely. That's why you correct your child. You're saying, I love you, but I don't approve of that behavior. Stop that. And you call them down. I accept you, but I don't approve of what you're doing. If, if one of our girls brought home a, a young man and there was something about him, <laughs> you know, that just didn't sit right with dad while I'm cleaning my shotgun, uh, <laughs> you know, I'd say, honey, he's not the man for you. Now, I don't, I don't approve of him, but that doesn't keep me from, you know, get out of my house, you know, throw him out or something like that. Acceptance does not mean approval. And our culture today is like, if you don't approve of everything I do, you're a bigot, you're intolerant. That's not the case at all. I accept you. I accept you. I love you. We can talk. We can be friends. But that doesn't mean that I approve of everything that you do. Very, very different. Number five, we should not be offensive, but we must be honest. Being offensive is not a spiritual gift. And there are so many Christians, there's too many Christians that are like, they're baptized in pickle juice. They're just like mean and ornery. You don't find that in the Bible. That, that's not what we're supposed to be at all. We're supposed to be honest, though. We're, ne- we're never supposed to deliberately or, or intentionally know that we're offending someone. We should never do that but we are to be honest. Again, the Bible says, speak the truth, honesty, in love. In love. And listen, I, I, I know. I know how this goes. I've been, I've been so nervous leading up to this message. I've been, I've been as nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs, just afraid a tail's gonna come off. I, I know, I told Susie, I said, listen, I'm gonna preach this message and folks are never gonna come back to this church again. going to happen. But because of just the issue that we're talking about. And this was the issue 2,000 years ago. But again, I didn't write the letter. I'm just a messenger. I'm just a mailman. We should not be offensive, but we must be honest. And what I don't want to do is one day be there when you stand before God. And he says, why didn't you walk in purity? And you turn and say, my pastor never told me to. He never told me what you said about it. He never told me what the standard was. He never told me what the scripture said on the issue. I don't want that charge against me. And so I I have a duty to do. Number six. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but sharing your faith requires disagreement. We're supposed to share our faith with others. If you're talking to anyone who's not a Christian, you disagree with them. If it ever happens, you're in disagreement. They don't believe Christ, Jesus is the Son of God, and you do. But we've got to be civil as we talk about that. It is part of actually someone receiving Jesus Christ as their Savior. They go from disagreeing with that to agreeing with that and opening their heart. And I know so many people, so many of you, 
that there was a time in myself when I didn't agree with that. But then loving people said, let's keep talking about this. Let me share more with you. And you know what? Over time, the Holy Spirit just opens up the heart. I'm like, yes, I never saw this before. But he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And he did die on the cross and he did pay for my sins and I can be forgiven. And he wants me to follow him and to live my life walking in his footsteps. And so sharing our faith requires disagreement. Here's the second thing. After, after Jesus lays all his case here to the church of Thyatira, then he reminds them. He gives them a reminder. First he rebukes them, and then he gives them a reminder. And I love this. The next verse, verse 24 of Revelation chapter 2. He says, Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teachings, that's Jezebel, and about sexual immorality and food sacrifice to idols, and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. See, that's the way she was posing it. She was like, this is a deep secret. It's okay. You're not hurting anybody. He's like, you're not falling for that because that's really Satan's so-called deep secrets. He says, I will not impose any other burden on you. Jesus says, I have nothing else to say to correct you. Those of you who aren't falling into Jezebel's teachings here, he's like, I have nothing else to say. And he goes on and he says, except, hold on. Hold on. Hold on to what you have until I come. Stay the course. He says, because I'm coming back. I'm coming back. You hold on. Overcome. And this is the reason why he says, hold on. He says, because I'm going I'm to reward you. I'm going to reward you. This is amazing. Look at this next verse, verse 26. He says, to the one who is victorious, to the one who overcomes, to the one who holds on, to the one who remains pure and walks in my way, who doesn't give in, who doesn't compromise, and does my will to the end, not just at one point in their life and then they stray away, but to the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over nations what is he talking about this is something that's all throughout the New Testament that we hardly hear anything about goes on and I'll I'll do the rest of it and then unpack it he goes on he says that one will will rule them with an iron scepter and I will dash them to pieces like pottery just as I have received authority from my father he goes on I will also give that one the morning star whoever has ears let him hear what the spirit says to the churches Jesus makes it very, very clear. He is one day, every one of us will stand before him and we will have to give an account for what we've done in this life. And and I've heard all kinds of preaching about it and and man, I don't know what it's gonna be like. Some say they're gonna stand there and a crowd of humanity is gonna watch everything you did in your entire life. Every moment, every thought, every desire played out in front of all humanity. And then Jesus is gonna turn and say, this person's name written in the Lamb's Book of Life? Nope. Never received you as their Savior. Jesus talked about this a lot. He goes, and they're going to be pushed out into outer darkness 
where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. But then I open the book and someone else and I, there it is. This is all in the book of Revelation as well. Right there. Chris Finley. Jesus is going to turn to Chris. Chris? I saw everything up there. You did a lot of good on this earth in my name. I'm going to reward you now. And some are actually going to be put over cities in the new heaven and the new earth. Some over entire nations, presidents and governors for all time because of what we did in this life. Jesus says, I'm going to reward you. And he says, I'm going to give you the morning star. What's he talking about in the morning star? This appears, the morning star appears right before dawn. It's when the night is the coldest and the night is the darkest. You can see the morning star. When the world is at its bleakest point, Christ will burst onto the scene, exposing evil with his light of truth and bringing his promised reward. And that's how the book of Revelation ends. If I could just fast forward to it right now. Revelation 22, look at what it says. Jesus says, look, I'm coming. I'm coming back. I bring rewards with me. And I will reward each person for what they've done. He's talking about those who have received Christ will be rewarded in eternity. And he'll deal out those rewards based on what we've done, based on how we've lived our life before him as our Lord and our Savior. I just encourage you here, I don't have time to do it, but uh, you may want to read the parables, just, just two examples that Jesus talks about, Matthew 25 and Luke 19. Matthew 25 and Luke 19, where he talks about these rewards that he'll be, give, that'll be given for all time and eternity for what we did in this life. That's why Jesus is like, he's talking to the church of Thyatira. He's like, don't be short-sighted. You, you, you're jeopardizing everything for a moment of sexual pleasure. When I have eternity waiting for you. Eternity don't compromise stay pure walk with me because I'm coming back I'm coming back don't tolerate things that I don't tolerate I'm coming back and I want to reward you so I want to end tonight this message by asking three questions Ask yourself the question right now in this moment. Do I tolerate things that God doesn't tolerate? Am I saying, well, that's okay? <laughs> the things that Jesus is like, that's not okay. Am I living for a temporary thrill and sacrificing eternal rewards? Am I living for a temporary thrill and sacrificing eternal rewards? Am I walking in the power of the Holy Spirit as he gives me victory every day to be who it is that God created me to be and live the life that he made me for? Don't settle. Don't settle. I'm going to ask right now, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father,
Lord, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that your word really is a, a double-edged sword. And it kind of cuts through a lot of confusion and a lot of gray, a lot of murkiness. Father, we thank you for your word that's been preserved for us for 2,000 years, and we realize that humans have not changed. We haven't. But Lord, your word is unchangeable. And so Father, right now in this, this moment of, of really clarity and sobriety and just, just sober thinking, God, I, I just pray that we would have the courage to come clean with you in anything in our life that's keeping us, that we're, that we're compromising when we're tolerating things in our life that you don't tolerate. Lord, we wanna live driven by eternity with you and the rewards that you have for us. Not live for a moment of, of temporary pleasure in the present. Father, help us to take a real look in, the, in our hearts Lord, to open our hearts and receive the grace that the Holy Spirit wants to give us to live the life that you created us to live, the life that Jesus came and he sacrificed his life for, that we could have that abundant life that we were created for. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Valley Christian Church located in Hopewell Junction, New York. Please visit us online at valleychristianchurch.net for more information. Thank you.